everybody came tonight that's why i showed up very excited about the double funnel not even want to know what you gotta what you gotta say all right so let's take a look here what we have is the topo double funnel in the bottom section you got this vol lead volume to engaged leads and in the top you got these target accounts with engaged accounts, and then they all go and funnel back into SDR qualification into an opportunity and blah, 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 blah. Let's talk through. So this is what's happening from a, I can see how we got here. So they, companies were originally just running the bottom part of it, just the volume of lead funnel. And then they were like, oh, but we're moving to account based, but we don't want to have, we don't want to rock the boat too much. So we're not going to tell people to stop doing the stuff that clearly doesn't fucking work anymore. And we're just going to have them keep doing their MQL machines. So we don't have to drive any organizational change. And what we're going to do is just tell them to run, add ABM software and run account based on top of it with the same intention of just having our sales team call people that don't want to buy right now. And so let's talk through all the different places where this model breaks down, in my opinion. Step one, the lead funnel is totally broken. The fact that this is even in the model anymore, where you drive a high volume of leads and then you have your SDR team call people that didn't ask to talk to you, like this stuff has clearly not worked for almost a half decade, probably more than that if you really looked at the data. Like the fact that we still have this in play where marketing, where a re firm like Topo is telling marketers to do this stuff is wild. So this is clearly broken. There's no quality control metric inside of this. So just like generate a bunch of MQ MQLs, call people and we'll just get what we get. It's one piece where it's totally busted. Number two, there's no demand creation strategy in here. So all that we're doing is just having two different motions. One, we're going after target accounts to collect leads and then call people in the target accounts, cold call them. And then we got actual leads, people, and we're going to collect leads from them. And then we're going to cold call those people when they didn't ask for it. None of it involves trying to get buyers to come to you because they want to buy. Everything is geared toward outbound sales. This is the fundamental flaw in the topo double funnel in the serious decisions demand waterfall it all revolves around outbound sales like it's 2012 still like buyers want to buy differently i don't know why this is so difficult to understand we need to prioritize having high intent buyers come over and say i want to talk to your sales team about buying this stuff now why is that not part of this motion number three Having a bunch of people funnel in to one place where there's STR qualification, regardless of the level of buying intent that they have, creates a suboptimal buying experience. Why are we funneling everyone into one funnel when they have different levels of buying intent? They were sourced through different sources. They probably, some of them are, came from high intent, like conversion sources, like a demo. Other ones were totally cold call inbound. Other ones, we gave away gift cards and we're going to put them, mix them all into one pot suboptimal buying experience leading to lower sales team performance. 
Number four, everything gets moves into one funnel and not, and then into opportunities and not all SQOs are created equal. So you get all of these different opportunities in place. It makes it very difficult to forecast because you got some coming from cold outbound that you're going to win at 11%. You got some coming in from your website that you're going to win at 50%. And you just mix them all together. So it's difficult to forecast. It's difficult to plan and it's difficult to optimize. To illustrate this point, I actually pulled some data, pulled some data, 60 million ARR SaaS company from different marketing lead sources and the qualified opportunity win rates, website demo requests, 41%, gift card incentivized meeting request, 13%, field marketing, special types of events, 19%, trade show booths, badge scan, 21%. Affiliate, like referral channel, 8%. Employee referral, 50%. So you can see the spread here. Some of these opportunities went at 50, 40 to 50%. Other ones went at 8 to 13%. But they all get mixed together. And then you just measure on how many qualified opportunities you get or how much qualified pipeline you get, regardless of the win rates of these sources. The reason the win rates are so much different is because there's different levels of buying intent when people convert and enter your pipeline based on these sources. And so mixing them together creates a very dangerous game where you don't exactly know what you're getting and what you're going to get out of it. So those are some of the challenges with the double funnel. My recommendation here, I'm going to stop sharing. We're going to, um, Give me a couple of weeks. We're gonna we're gonna show you what we've what I've architected instead in terms of a framework. It's basically going a step farther than this, which is instead of focusing on the motion, high volume leads, and then we're gonna do ABM over here. It's really focused on the pipeline source and how the, what is going on with the buyer. Is the buyer coming to us saying, "Hey, I'd love to buy now," or are we going to them and saying, "Hey, do you want to have a meeting with us?" Or is our partner channel sourcing some things, or are we getting them at trade shows? And if you break Instead of having them all funnel into one funnel, if you break them into individual different sources, it makes it way easier to plan. It makes it way easier to hold people accountable. It makes it way easier to optimize. It makes it way easier to forecast revenue. The topic, or more like the process that we're going to get into today, is a process that I created several years ago and have continued to enhance and revise over the past several years called Split the Funnel. A little bit of a background, I've done, like I mentioned, more than 100 of these analyses personally inside of B2B companies, What and by taking all of their CRM data, looking at it over a historical time period, typically 12 months, but for longer sales cycles, you might do a longer time period, and for shorter sales cycles, you might be a shorter time period, but typically 12 months, and it's one of the most impactful things that anyone inside of the company can do for your company and also for your career. There's a great learning. It, it positions you as a leader. It positions you as a different thinker. It positions you as a way, someone that's going to bring new ideas and innovation inside to a company. It's going to help you point out to other leaders and executives insights and things that they may not see or may, they may not know how to glean. So there's a lot of cool stuff. Additionally, it's really interesting to think how sort of like my thinking and my the way that I operate has become a really interesting blend between demand and rev ops. Um, this is go. This is something that 
someone in either of those sections or anywhere else in the business could do, but typically is going to be done by someone in demand or RevOps or something like that. Um, and it gives you an entirely new view of how to analyze the performance of your programs, try and resolve some of the issues. If you have sales and marketing alignment issues, some of the ways to point out why that's happening and then go out and resolve it, uh, have a new way to communicate and present to executives. When you think about annual planning or you think about doing a QBR, or you think about putting together slides for a board deck and to be able to take those insights and actually go and make recommendations of, Hey, here's all this data, but also here's what we should do instead. Right. And I think that's a, that's a key point. If you're, whether you're a manager or a VP or anywhere in between, like it's really easy to pull data out. It's really easy to collect data you can go and buy a tool. You can go and set up automation inside of your CRM or marketing automation. It's really easy to collect data. It's also really easy to put data into a report, pull it out and put it into a slide deck or put it into a dashboard in Salesforce or HubSpot or take a screenshot or dump it out into Excel and create some charts. It's really easy to visualize data and present it to someone. The thing that's unique and the thing that's going to grow in your career is to take that data, say, here's why this is happening and here's what we should do about it. So we'll talk through that. Um, the insights that you're going to get here are going to allow you to improve customer acquisition cost, shut off and have defensible position on why to shut off low ROI programs to think fully, like very differently about how you either define an MQL or whether an MQL is even useful inside of your business to improve the buyer experience and drive better overall business ROI. The first major insight in here that I'm going to share is that not all MQLs are created equal. While many B2B companies still just goal their marketing team on let's get 20,000 MQLs this quarter, the quality of the MQL is what matters. And the quality of an MQL can be determined by the conversion rates and sales velocity and close one revenue based on those MQLs. The second major insight that I'm going to share is that the high volume MQL model is typically and often the root of sales marketing misalignment and driving a high volume of MQLs and scoring your marketing team that way is actually the core, the, the core driver of the behaviors that the marketing team does, which become misaligned with what the sales team needs to be successful, which then by design creates misalignment. And the only people, well, we can make a case us, you know, marketers or salespeople or revenue professionals, we can make a case to executives about why we should do it differently. But ultimately, this ends up being a situation where you need someone that can change the goal is the way is the way to fix this. So let's get into a little bit more detail. Uh, I actually just went through all this. so I'm going to pass that. So first off, like what actually is this? This is an analysis that you're going to do with CRM data. So you're going to need CRM access. You need access to opportunity objects and lead objects. You're going to be able to be, you're going to have to be able to create reports or have access to a rev ops or an operations person who can create the reports for you. You're typically going to look at the time with it over the past 12 months, and you're going to look at all of the marketing lead sources based on last touch attribution before sales engaged. So what is the driver for sales to actually go out and put them into a sequence, make a cold call, send an email? or whatever else they're doing to try, try and get them into a meeting. And then you're going to look at the performance of those lead sources against things like pipeline creation, sales velocity, customer acquisition costs, and other, fa other factors like that. 
The reason why to do these things is that when you do this analysis, it's going to become very clear where, what are the sources that we're sending our, our sales team leads that are clearly unproductive and misaligned with the sales team's goals. And why are we even still doing this? Should we, can, can we have a conversation about why we're doing it how much money we're spending here, how it's wasting a lot of salespeople's time, which I've calculated in the past. You can actually go and look and say, okay, if a salesperson is doing 21 touches over this period of time, they're going to have on average, this many meetings for pe people that aren't going to close, like we can start to calculate what is the hidden cost of the wasted time of our sales team following up with these leads that marketing sending them. So it's going to highlight inefficiencies and potential sales marketing alignment points of contention. It's also going to show you where are the places that are actually aligned with the sales team driving high sales productivity, driving revenue, and has a lot more opportunities for scalability, which allows you to shift the strategy and the budget away from things that are, are not aligned with sales and are not working and then go and figure out how am I going to figure out and invest more to drive things that are working for our sales team. This is an example of what the output might look like as like a rev one. This is one thing that you're going to do. You're going to be able to go into your CRM. You're going to need to have some level. Some companies have like campaign or source. Sometimes that will be called lead source in the CRM. Sometimes that'll be called primary campaign source. Sometimes you might have a different title for it um, based in your CRM. Where is the place that is actually drive, last touch driving the sales action? So things like you'll see here, content syndication, uh, a web form, like a high intent web form request, an org, like org, uh, ebook download, uh, paid search going into an ebook download in high volume, a trade show lead that's going to drive sales to follow up. Um, Feasibly, if you're like more of an advanced company, you might have like intent data in here. You might have software advice. You might have G2 referrals. There could be, this is more of a simplified version, but this actually could be a pretty robust uh, list of things. You're not going to go through and list every single ebook. So you're going to actually group them into categories. Typically, you're going to have like a category source, but if you don't, then you're actually going to have to manually do that inside of a spreadsheet and put all the ebooks together, put all of the declared intent web forms together, et cetera. And then you're going to be able to draft out. This is, an, again, a simplified version. Earlier in the chart, which I stripped just to make it more simple, you're going to have number of total leads collected, number of opportunities created, number of qualified opportunities created. You could even have number of proposals sent. And then you could have closed one. So you're going to be able to look at this. You can be able to use the spreadsheet to calculate what are the conversion rates between these places. You can look at for every lead we send from an ebook, what's the percentage that convert into an opportunity? What's the percentage that convert into a qualified opportunity? What's the percentage that convert into closed one? How much pipeline are we created? What is the average sales cycle length? Uh, what's the average ARR, which is then going to allow you to calculate this really interesting and powerful metric that I'm going to go through in more detail later called pipeline velocity. Some people call this sales velocity. It means the same thing. I'll go through the calculation in a minute, but this is sorted based on uh, sales velocity. And what that tells you, just like a car velocity, how fast is a car moving over a distance of time from point A to point B, sales velocity is going to tell you how much pipeline is moving through our sales process to closed one over a period of time, in this case for the analysis, every 12 months. And then it's going to be able to show you, oh, like what do we got here just as an illustrative example. Trade show sales velocity, 84 euros per year. Web forms, which is mainly demo, contact, pricing, or inbound phone call, uh, 19,000. So you can just see the difference. This is just a relative difference of how much pipeline is moving through. 
And then you're going to be able to use that as an opportunity to say, where are the low-performing ones? What are the high-performing ones? Why are the low-performing ones low-performing? Is it because ARR is average ARR is lower? Is it because sales cycles are shorter? Is it because we're not creating that many opportunities? Is it because we're uh, not winning very many? You can also look at lead to win, which is going to give you a really interesting insight in, in uh, overall like sales alignment. You want if you're gonna if you're gonna send a lead to your sales team. Like the the stat that so it was the stat that someone published. We have data on this that supports this position that less than one percent of MQLs convert to close one. I think the actual number was like 0.58 percent. And then you have other places. What what they fail to recognize is that if you split this out and then you redefine an MQL and you have a pipe conversion, which is a declared intent conversion, you have low intent MQLs, things like that. That there are some that convert super high. For instance, like a demo request, even webinars are pretty high, things like that. And then you have things that are super low, which are low intent conversions where buyers aren't, aren't asking to buy, but we're still going to implement a sequence or a sales action for them. So you get all of this interesting data. You can look at it and slice it in a bunch of different ways, and you can draw your own co- conclusions based on your overall business. And what I'm doing is highlighting some of the core uh, trends that I've seen doing this over a long period of time. And the reason that they're trends is because it's specific to how buyers buy now, not specific to your industry or your company size or things like that. Just wanted to highlight real quick the sales velocity calculation, which you can see right here. Sales velocity equals win rate times the total number of qualified opportunities generated. We should use the hero definition of opportunities there times ACV of closed one deals divided by sales cycle length divided by the number of uh, days within the analysis period. So if you analyze it over 12 months, then 365 would go in that column. And that'll give you an overall sales velocity metric that, that you can use to compare source by source. Um, and you can see here an illustrative example based on the data that I presented. Like if you graph this out for your team, for your executives, even for yourself, it'll give you some really interesting insights. Like if I was looking at this chart, I would be like, hey, what we need to do is we need to do more events, more webinars, and figure out what we need to do in dark social to drive more people to get demo requests. We're going to implement self-reported attribution. We're going to understand why people are asking for a demo because we're driving the highest sales velocity there. Once they tell us why they're coming in, then we're going to go and do more of that and try and drive that source up because it has short sales cycles, it has good ACVs, it has high win rates, and it has a lot of scalability. And then I would say... Maybe we shouldn't do, uh, looking at this data, like why are we doing gated content? It's driving almost no revenue impact. Why don't we just ungate the content, distribute it differently, change our content strategy, uh, paid social lead gen, whatever illustrative example. We spent 600, example, we spent $600,000 on paid social lead gen last year. We generated almost no ARR. Why don't we use that? Why don't we redeploy those funds somewhere else that's going to be more productive for our sales team and for our company? Um, and then G2, I think that's just driven by low overall volume. So you could look deeper and say, hey, is our G2 investment worth it? Or should we look at reallocating those investments? And it's going to give you a really interesting insight of where and how can we focus our energy, our resources, our budget more effectively to drive better results, to make the things that are already working well work way better. So that's a key takeaway that you could have there. And then you end up in something like this, where you can actually group them and say, based on your own thing, where are the places where buyers are saying, hey, I want to talk to your sales team about buying, put all of that stuff in one bucket called declared intent, what we call a pipe conversion. And then where are the places where sale, where people are converting? 
that are where they're not asking to talk to a sales rep, but we're still triggering sales actions based off them, like sequences or cold calls or things like that. And let's put those all in one bucket. And then let's look at the aggregate lead to win rate, funnel conversion metrics, total number of qualified opportunities created, total ARR generated during the period of time, and then calculate sales velocity. And in this instance, and this, this is real data, 60 million ARR SaaS company, sales velocity for when buyers say, hey, I want to buy now over a period of uh, 12 months, 14.2 million in sales velocity. And for all of the 23,000 low intent leads that they got during that 12 months, sales velocity is 781K, almost a 14X difference in sales velocity. Uh, greater than a 14x difference in sales velocity and almost 150x difference in win rates from lead to closed one customer. And so you can use this data to then go and re-architect and think, should we even like the differences here are like, should we even be doing the things on the right-hand side? It's not aligned with how buyers want to buy. You could go and do buyer research and figure that out and demonstrate that for how buyers you could do uh, loss analysis you could actually call people that move to a cl uh, closed loss and understand why, and you could get that qualitative data. But honestly, just the quantitative business metrics here would lead you to say, hey, maybe we should stop investing. All, typically, all the money that's spent in marketing programs is spent to drive the low intent sources based on the goals. And this is a really fascinating topic because if you could get the easiest way to get a high volume of MQLs is to go out and get low intent MQLs to give you their email address. And so companies that have a high volume MQL target, any smart marketer, including myself, would say, okay, I got to go and get 20,000 MQLs and I only have this much money. So I need to get an MQL for $19.50. Where are the places where I can get an MQL for $19.50? It's definitely not going to be a demo request. It's definitely not going to be an inbound phone call. I need to go and pump up content syndication. I need to figure out how to do like gated eBooks on my website. And I need to figure out how to, you know, have some type of paid social or like a uh, YouTube conversion funnel to get people to download an eBook for 1950 cents, which is probably impossible on LinkedIn, um, but other platforms perhaps. And then it pushes all of the activities that way. And that's why you get tw 23,000 low intent leads and 2,500 declared intent leads just because the volume is going to push you to get cheaper low intent leads, which then ironically creates tons of sales misalignment because look at the sales data. Like the marketing team is driven by the goals to get more of these and the sales team is not getting the impact that they need out of these, which means that we need to sort of like realign what the goals are between the two teams. I recognize that some companies have addressed this, but I also recognize that a majority haven't. We're still in the early mover, early adopter phase of this change, which is wild to me because the data is so clear. And so you could be an early mover. You could go in and run this analysis for yourself using your own business data. Um, I did this for myself in 2017 and started to massively progress my career by not just thinking about what content we're going to create or how we're going to run ads, but thinking about how, like, what is the impact of this on revenue and how do I guide the company to choose the best things to invest in? And how do I guide the company to make the best adjustments to our go-to-market strategy overall? So it's expanding your view to be outside of just advertising, marketing content, and looking at it like a true revenue professional. 
marketers still be thinking about content production through top of funnel, middle funnel, bottom of funnel lens? No. I think this is a no. Um, I think about this instead in just one binary look. They're either in market or they're not in market. They're either actively trying to research and buy what you sell or they're not. A majority of people that you're going after fall into the latter bucket. They're not currently looking to buy what you sell. And so if you split it that way, then you can have specific marketing activities that are geared toward people that are not looking to buy, which is most people. That's where you get the podcast, you get community, you get live events, you get you know, physical events, you get uh, social media, you get lives like TikTok. You have all of these options that, that are built for people that are not actively looking to buy. And then your behavior when you do them is, I know these people aren't looking to buy. So I'm not over here saying, call to action, sign up now, do this. Because if I did that, then you would all leave eventually. So you got the, you got the not in market bucket, which is a place where a majority of B2B companies just don't spend money. Oh, they don't have intent. They're not in market. I guess we're going to we'll be, be more efficient with our budget if we don't market to them. And then they wait for those people until they're in market. And then when they're in market, they've never heard of your company before. So I think there's that. And then you have the in-market component. And the in-market component is website content and buyer enablement. So in, when people are in market, where are they going to look? They're going to look at some level, they're going to do some level of dark social searching. Maybe they look at a review site, but I think less and less people are trusting those things th these days. And eventually they're going to stumble on your website and they're going to want to say, is this for, they're going to understand, is this for me? How does it work? What's the pricing look like? What's the next step for me buying this? Do I have to book a call? Do I get a free trial? Things like that. Do I need, to, do I need case studies to, to create ROI calculations? Like you have all of these other things that are, that are like, if the person's in market to buy, this is the content that they need. And when they're in market to buy and they need it, they're going to come and find it. We don't have to go out and give it to them necessarily. And when you create that distinction, then you have two separate content strategies and potentially two separate ways of measuring those things. And I just think it gets more, I, I just think you have way more clarity. People do not buy in a funnel. So to think that they're going to buy that way, I just don't think makes, makes sense. And to me, it's really, it's, it's really clear. People are either trying to buy or they're not. Would you consider, you mentioned the dark social versus dark funnel earlier, which is interesting. I, I've only been focused on dark social. So would you consider podcast mentions and owning your own podcast so that driving listeners and them saying that's what drove them or driving them actual SQLs, would you count that as dark social or dark funding? So if you think about the, like a very simplified form of the buying process, you have a buyer that doesn't know about you or the problem or anything like that, right? Typically the places, so they're not looking for your stuff. So they're not, they're not in G2, they're not in Google, they're not reading your website, right? They're not doing that stuff. So they're, they're over here. They're hanging out in the places where they normally hang out. They're going to the events. They might participate in the community. They're inside of the LinkedIn or whatever social network they use. Maybe they're doing some things in Reddit, whatever. They're over there. We got to figure out how to get into those places, communicate a, a business message that is received well, and inspire someone to have an internal conversation, share content with an executive, bring it up at the next board meeting. We have to inspire someone to actually take action. When they start to take action, a lot of that stuff's going to be happening in the background. It's going to be in dark social. They're going to be sending uh, internal Slack to their CMO. 
They're going to be having a meeting with executives to talk through it. They're going to be building Google spreadsheets. Then at some point, someone's going to say, we're going to go out and start like looking for this stuff or someone might, might just do it. Then they're going to go G2. They're going to go into communities and they're going to say, hey, people, what's the best tool in this category? What's your experience been with this company? They're going to start hitting your website. They might be looking at pricing. They're going to do, they're doing things that are now demonstrating clear intent that can be measured on the internet. That's dark funnel, right? If you have a six cents or a demand base or something like that, the account signals are going to go off the, the decks, which is mostly driven by, by, we know people at these accounts are on our website now. And so in that part of it, then you actually have clear, like you have clear measurable intent, which can then drive ad activation. It can drive outbound. It can drive, uh, it can drive other actions because you can measure it in some way. Vendors have, vendors and data providers have figured out how to measure it. So that's really what I'm thinking about in the, in the dark funnel area. Um, I don't know if that was a clear distinction, but it's really the difference between are they demonstrating measurable intent or, or are they on like the categories of dark social or well-defined social networks, podcasts, general word of mouth, private communities, internal meetings and communication. Like those are the general categories there. Um, and then on the other side, you have play, like search dark funnel is going to have measure search engines, affiliates, news blogs, sometimes review or referral sites that are passing that data and their own first party website data. So those are all sort of like dark funnel activity. That's how I would separate the two. And the, the difference is that dark social is not producing intent data and not being attributed to a person or an account. That makes sense. So they kind of work hand in hand where dark social is a moment in time. I think these are 100% complementary things. Yeah. So like uh, some people think that like I'm over here trying to like steal six senses thunder with the dark funnel. No, I'm trying to educate marketers that, hey, like the dark funnel is real. Here's the things that it's being measured by a ABM or intent data vendor. But we have all of these other things that customers are doing when they're not looking to buy from you. And we need to be able to create demand and move people into buying cycles through these places. So I totally agree with you. I think they're 100% complementary, one for creating demand and one for capturing demand. So um, let's start. Um, you have stated that dark social is where demand is created and dark funnel is where it is captured. Does that mean that dark social cannot be funneled? Because the way I see it, dark social uh, is a part of the funnel because it belongs to the journey, the discovery journey, right? For the B2B buyer. So how, how does it work? Why dark social doesn't belong to the dark funnel? I, I think that most people have historically followed this path of a funnel because it makes sense and they thought that people bought linearly. Um, but I think in the way that people buy today, things have very much changed where you basically have two states. This company or this person is either in market to buy your solution and actively looking to buy it or they're not. To me, it's more binary than this like trickling down funnel. Um, and when you think about it that way, if you operate based on if a person is in market or not in market, you'll do entirely different things based on that binary result. If they're not in market, you're probably not going to try and get them into a sales conversation and have your salesperson waste 45 minutes pitching someone that doesn't want to buy and sending, doing a bunch of activities like that. And conversely, when they're in market, when they're demonstrating intent, when they're a company is on your website, when they're searching in Google for the category of what you sell, when they are doing things like that, you'd have an entirely different playbook for how you operate there. And so I think the funnel, the historical funnel, doesn't have a lot of clarity in what you should be doing at each point 
or the historical ways of doing it. Like, oh, somebody's in because they opened three of our emails. They're in the middle of the funnel now. Let's send them a case study. I just don't think that that methodology of linear buying exists anymore. And I think it would be beneficial for marketers and revenue professionals to change their mindset around it. And so when we get into like the idea of dark social versus dark funnel, the real difference is whether the buyer is showing intent in intent channels or not. Dark social, there is not intent there. They're not logging into LinkedIn to buy your SaaS tool. They're not listening to a podcast to talk to your sales team. And so in dark social, there's no intent. And then when they move into in market, they're going to do things that demonstrate intent, like search for your category in Google search, or fill out a request on your website, or reply to an email that your sales team sends them or things like that. And then they become part of this in-market active, active demand. And so those, that's the split that I've been trying to help people see is that you can't do, there's something needs to happen before a buyer demonstrates intent. Most of those things today are happening in dark social, which is a new concept for most people because just five or 10 years ago, most of the things that people do today to research, discover, and evaluate products didn't even exist or weren't being used widely by B2B professionals. Super, yeah, yeah, it has, yeah, it has sense to me. Um, it's very clear.